think it's working. Good morning, ladies. I am so happy to be here with you today because I know everything and you're just trying to figure it out. <laughs> wrong, 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 wrong. So um, I work at a small nonprofit and we had a meeting yesterday and it was about establishing um, a clearer mission statement. Dropped books in the background for those of you listening on recording. So it's about establishing a clearer mission statement so that we could all be aligned, all of those who are working for the organization, to doing the first things first, doing the right thing first, taking our, our priorities from that mission statement. And um, I can attest to you that that makes a big difference. I kind of love mission statements. I love the way they're crafted. Um, but I never had one for myself personally. And I found that as a mother, not until about now, so, you know, wait up, but not until about now have I thought to myself, if I had established what the things I wanted for my family or what I wanted from my life with my family were at the beginning, in a succinct way, I might have been better able to say yes or no with confidence. So a girl in my office and I were talking and she said, you know, I, am, I started this job and I really love it, but I'm constantly feeling guilty because I'm not doing something, you know, for my child. And then I come home and I do things for my kids and they drive me crazy because I'm so, I'm such in a hurry and I feel guilty and I feel guilty and I feel guilty. And raise your hand if you said I feel guilty. And we talked about that a little bit. And I said, you know, part of the problem, I think, as mothers of this generation, and I raised some of you, so I get it, I'm sorry, is that we set about making our kids happy. We, I hear this all the time, well, I just want them to be what? Happy. Well, good luck with that. Because <laughs> their birthday isn't every day. And so I think in our minds we say, this is good for him, it will make him happy, it will make him a better friend, it will make him a better athlete, it will put him into a better college, it will make him better able to share, all of these things to make him happy. And the truth is we can't be happy every day. Now we can have a different kind of joy, and we do as Christ followers, it's a different kind of joy, it's a joy that's, that's to look forward to, a joy that make, gives meaning to what we're going through as we sang upstairs. But to make a child happy is to make yourself crazy. I had a book um, I read when I was about uh, some of your ages, and it was called When You Feel Like Screaming. And I opened the front of the book, and it, it listed this woman's day. I did this, I did this, I'm trying to do this, and then I was wallpapering, and I was trying to make a dinner, and there was a thing at church, and, and, I, and I knew myself right on that page. Because I also felt like screaming. So, I don't want you to be screaming. I want you to have a sense of your purpose that gives you a peace and a satisfaction that is beyond making your child or even you happy. So we're going to talk about this as being moms on a mission. And what we're going to go through today, if time allows, what is a mission? And we're going to meet Hannah from the Bible. What is a commission? And we're going to meet some of the disciples. And what is my mission under Jesus? So let's start off with Hannah. Now, last week, Gretchen skillfully taught you about Ruth a great hero, heroine of the Bible. And right after the book of Ruth comes the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And this is the time of judges when we don't yet have kings of Israel, but Samuel is the one we're going to know who's going to appoint the first kings and be a prophet to the first kings. So he's a big deal. And Hannah's a big deal because she's his mother. But I want to remind you of this. When we study scripture... We are not learning biographies of important people who did good stuff. We are learning about the character of God through the people he has purposed 
and written down in scripture. So all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and training and righteousness, but it's not about the character. Because half the time, the characters are really not so great. But they are used by God to teach us about his character. So I want you to go with me through an excerpt of Ruth, I mean of Hannah. Now, on your own, this is really only one chapter, the first chapter in the book of 1 Samuel, and I would encourage you to read it. It's got some really cool details that are kind of funny, but we don't have time to talk about them all, so I had to edit them out for the day. We're also going to talk about what is a mission statement, particularly why an organization exists in its overall values. Am I not on tape? Am I yelling? Can you hear me? There's no green light. Yeah, we have to. You have to be smarter than the machine. Let's hear it for Eric Robertson. <laughs> okay, so a mission statement for an organization looks like this. It's why an organization exists and what its overall goal is. It's what kind of product or service it provides. It's who is its primary customer or who is its market. And it's maybe self-limiting, as in in what geographical or uh, temporal time-based um, region does it exist. This is one way to define a mission statement. And I'm going to throw a few mission statements up here from organizations that you know. And I'm going to ask you if you can guess which they are. So what do you think this is? To be our customer's favorite place and way to eat and drink. Our worldwide operations center on an exceptional customer experience, people, products, place, price, and promotion. Whose mission statement do you think this is? Yell it out if you think you know. Starbucks? Starbucks? No, but that's good. I don't know. Nope. Worldwide operations. McDonald's, yes. So we should tell McDonald's that their mission statement's not obvious. There's a lesson in there. Okay, make this one. To be Earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online. You knew it. I'll tell Amazon they're right on. They're waiting to hear from me today. Be America's best quick service restaurant to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with them. What was the giveaway? What's the thing they say to you when you buy there? Isn't it have a great day at Chick-fil-A or it's a good day to be at Chick-fil-A? I don't know what it is. Anyway, and here's the last one. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google. Yeah, if you don't know it, Google it. All right, so here's the deal. A mission statement has uh, why it exists, who is the target, where is the target. Some of these are worldwide, some of these are America, um, and it's um, primary customers. So they, if you know your customer, you know how to market to them. And you know who our customer is, moms? Our kids. So it's important that we know our kids, but it's also important that we know who made our kids and what he made them for. So we're going to talk about Hannah, as I mentioned, in 1 Samuel. Um, Hannah's story, I'm going to just read it to you. You can read along, and I do, again, uh, encourage you to read it on your own. There was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. 
And so it went, year by year. Eat, eat. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Can you hear a mission? Let's look at what her mission might be. Hannah is going year by year to offer praise and sacrifice to the temple. She is a woman of God following hard after God. So her overarching mission is to honor and serve God, but specifically with her life, with her body, with her family. And the kind of service that she's going to provide is motherhood. And she says to the Lord, I will continue to honor you through my motherhood. And her primary customer is not children in general, but a son in particular. Raising a child that serves God. And you might say raising a son that serves God. And he's going to serve God in the holy place. This is not a general idea for her son, should she have one. It is a very specific mission. I want to glorify the Lord with my family. I am at odds with the, with the cultural expectation of a woman. I want that for myself, but I want it for you, Lord. And if you give it to me, I'm going to tell everybody you gave them to me. You're going to get the glory for this. And not only are you going to get the glory, you're going to get the sacrifice of my son. My son. I'm going to give him to you. Then Eli answered, back to the scripture. He's the priest now. Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. His name means, I have asked for him from the Lord. Then the men Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And when she had weaned him, she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and she said, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him, and therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And then she says this amazing prayer in the second chapter. It goes on for many verses. I've shortened it here. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of the priest. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Is it unclear what she wanted or for whom she wanted it or to whom she intended to practice it upon, it is very clear what Hannah's mission was. 
I suggest to you that we could have such a mission. And by the end of today, I hope that you will be thinking about what such a mission might be. But first I want to bring you to the chapter, Matthew 28, and the last verses, that should say 18 to 20, not 18 to 10, that's a typo. This is a, a, a passage of scripture that's called the Great Commission. Now, when I came upon this notion of mission and commission, I thought, well, sure, commission means I'm on a mission with God, which sounds pretty good. The Blues Brothers made it famous, I think. I'm on a mission with God. And then I studied the Latin and the Greek derivations and the Hebrew, which is not my strong suit, people. I have no, no training in this. But I realized that the word commission is not about being on commission. It is about being given a, a word of authority as a committee. That is to say, there's a, there's a group here, and they're receiving a word of authority. And the group in this sense, in this scripture, at the very end of the book of Matthew, is the disciples. These are the disciples. This is what it says. Jesus came and said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who's got the authority in this situation? Jesus. Go therefore and make all disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. The Great Commission is the authority of God speaking to the committee of disciples. And this is not optional. For those of us who call ourselves disciples, this commission is not optional, and our world begins in our home, or even in our womb. So I've often said that the smallest unit of society is a family. And as the family goes, so society goes. And what you're seeing out in the world now is the degradation of the family unit. And then within the family unit, we are called to make disciples of all bedrooms and playrooms and backyards, and to start with our very own children. Confession. This never occurred to me when I was younger. I came to Christ as an uh, almost adult, and I was busy practicing being a disciple, but not necessarily making disciples of all nations. Because you see, this commission is given to people who are disciples. Now let's clarify a little bit. Let's look at the word commission, which I already talked about, a command or a duty given to a person or group of people. Duty being the key word. Second word, disciple. Okay, we know the word discipline, and if you like do a Google search on discipline for images, every picture is of a mother doing this. <laughs> but that's not really dis discipling. Discipling is training and teaching and showing boundaries and consequences and joys of what happens when you're in those boundaries and when you're beyond the boundaries. The discipline of being a mother is to live within the boundaries God gave you and to act them out well according to his glory. That's that's what a disciple does. It's one who learns, takes instructions from a master, and one who is a student or, or even better, an apprentice. So we're following along in order to be like. Frequently asked question, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? Raise your hand if that's ever crossed your mind. Are those two things the same? Are they different? How are they different? Are they always talking about the same people? Me, it was always a question. But the word apostle means one who is sent. And in this commission, these disciples are becoming apostles. He, they're being sent into the world. Now, Jesus tells them, go to where I tell you and stay in the city until the Holy Spirit comes on high because I'm going to equip you to be sent. First, you have to be a disciple who receives, and then you can be an apostle who is sent. So for us, 
we have to be a good disciple first. And this, you can't teach your children what you don't know. And I couldn't teach my children what I didn't know. But what I could know was available to me in scripture, but it took some discipline and some gathering together with people who are on the same path for me to, to access it. I, that's why I'm so glad you're here today, especially if you're particularly long, young and you have preschool children. I'm very glad because you're gonna get a head start on the fact that this is not just for me to grow up and be a better model. This is for me to bring my children up in the way on the Lord like Hannah did. Lend them back to God. Not easy. And you can see how the character of God is reflected in the story of Hannah. This is a God who loves you so much that he gives you his son. He lends you his son so that you can know more about him, so that he can glorify his people. So here are some of the attributes of a good learner. This is not brain surgery, and there are more. But I was a teacher, and I love a kid who's curious, who comes in wanting to know, self-motivated. That means he's got the work done. He follows directions. Everybody wants their child to follow directions. Everybody, every teacher wants their directions followed. He's hardworking. He asks questions. When your kids start college, those of you who are looking way, way in the future, one of the things every school when you're on your tours will tell you is tell your children to sit in the front seat. Get in the front of the classroom. Let the professor see your face. Let him know you are following along and ask questions. A good learner, a disciple, is one who can perform under pressure. Not easy. Some of us are not good at tests. Some of us are not good at speeches. Some of us are not good in certain groups. If you can perform despite your obstacles, you're gonna be a better student. And you're able to work with others, really key. Able to work with others, because you're not in this alone. How many of you love group projects when you were in school? Group projects. We're not in Asia, we don't love group projects. We're independent, we're pioneers. Group projects is called the rest of life. My son is now you know, an adult working in a group and he's like, oh man, there's some people in the group. I go, right, that will always be the case. And to another person, you're some people, just saying. <laughs> so curious, self-motivated, motivated, follows directions, hardworking, asks questions, performs under pressure, able to work with others. That's a good student. Sounds like these guys. Curious, yeah, what's this guy about? I saw him doing something over there and I'm interested, I'm gonna follow him, self-motivated. I'm gonna drop my nets and go. Uh, following directions, yes, Lord, what you say, yes, Lord. Uh, Hardworking, asks questions, uh, performs under pressure, able to work with others. Not all A pluses though, right? Not all A pluses for the disciples. Because when they met Jesus, they had a ways to go before they could teach Jesus. And as a learner, they're moving toward the correct application of these attributes. So if you're a disciple already, now you're called upon to be a disciple maker, what attributes do you need? Oh, the same ones, the same ones. You still have to be curious and self-motivated and follow directions and ask questions and perform under pressure and be able to work with others. But plus, you need to know the passion for the subject and the passion for your object. And the passion for the subject is God. His way in the world is going to prevail whether we understand it or not. 
And I love that because there's some reassurance there that some of the injustices I see, some of the wrongs will be righted because he knows the way. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's all in his control. And I love that most of the time. But I definitely have a passion for the object, my child, whom I want to be happy, to be joyful, to be productive, to be in God's kingdom. That's your mission if you choose to accept it. Now, when I hear this, I see this picture, I I see Peter Graves. (laughs) He's really old and probably dead for 20 years now because the original, the only good, you know, Mission Impossible had him and not, you know, the other guy. But if you want to take your, your mission to be a disciple who makes disciples, you first have to know if you're a disciple. And so I'm going to ask you today, to look at these questions that I have on up here and look at their corresponding question on your paper and pensively, purposefully ask yourself, can I say yes and amen to that question? Yes meaning I agree with that is correct and amen meaning it is true for me. It is true for me. So these are the questions that Jesus asked. Do you want to follow me? On your paper, it says, do you accept the invitation to follow the leadership of Jesus? There are references there. There are way more references than I put down here. He asks all the time. You want to follow me? You want to follow me? You want to follow me? That's a question that precedes all the other questions. Now, when I started college, I didn't know everything I knew when I finished college. And when I had a baby, I didn't know everything I was going to know at the end of 25 or more years. I still don't know. But I still have to follow. And so if you're a disciple, you're agreeing to follow. I came to Christ in college because I had that curiosity and that desire to know something, but I didn't know what I was saying yes to. So if you feel that way, join the club. Because the disciples didn't know fully what they were saying yes to. They hadn't been taught yet. So the first question is, do you want to be a disciple? And then the second question is, who do you say that I am? In other words, who is that teacher? On what authority does he stand? How can he have the rights to tell me anything? So if I ask myself, do, is, do I understand that he is the, in the position of God and the Son of God, and he's the only Savior of the world? If I can say yes and amen to that, then I can move on into my discipleship. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Do you? Do you recognize the voice of Christ? Do you recognize the still, small voice, the one that's not in the big movements and not in the big programs and not on a a glitzy TV series, the one that says, you're my sheep, you are my beloved, and the things I want for you, I have for you. Do you hear his still, small voice? And are you gathering together with other people that do? The book of Hebrews tells us, don't forsake gathering yourselves together. That's a letter written to the people who had already decided that they were following Christ. But sometimes people will say, you know, I don't really need a church because, I, you know, this is a vertical relationship. But when asked what were the commandments, the most important commandments, he said there are two, but they're really one. Love God, love others. How are we going to know you love me unless you love others? You can say all you want all by yourself, but you've got to be in a community of people who love God with you. Imperfectly, weirdly, self-righteously, humbly, Get in a group, big group maybe. Maybe there'll be 16 people in your community today. But they're there because we all need help on the way. And when I'm weak, they can be strong. And when they're weak, I can be strong. And that's why you need the church. And then do you ask yourself, um, did I ever like 
make any mistakes because I want to throw the stone at the other people, which is called Facebook, I think, or Twitter. <laughs> That's today's stone throwing, isn't it? A place to condemn others. And then you go, hmm. But if there was a video camera of my life today, when I feel guilty and I grab my child because she's not behaving, when I lose my cool or act rudely to my spouse or neglect something that has been nagging me to do but I just don't want to do it, it's for the good of the family, but I just can't get it done. And worse, and worse, then I say, who am I to cast the first stone? Do I recognize my sin? That's a question Jesus said. Who among you should cast the first stone? Do you think I don't know? And then do you want something that lasts beyond the circumstance? Do you want living water? The woman at the well, full of sin, divorces, married to people, not, live, not married to people, five or six husbands, ostracized by the community. He says to her, in her poverty, do you want something that'll fill you up forever, for which you'll never have to go back? Do you want something bigger than the newest outfit, or to be in the in crowd, or to go on the vacation somebody else posted about? Do you want something that lasts longer than your circumstances, and even though you're sinful, is given to you? Do you want living water? And if you say yes and amen to that, he's going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you on a daily basis because water is essential for life and living water is essential for eternity. And then do you want, a, you want a job with me? You want to be on my team? Do you want to be a fisher of men? I, I joined this new non-for-profit organization and, and they have this vision and I really like the vision and I want to be part of it because it promotes something that I really value. It also promotes something that Jesus really values, which is a kind of justice. So I get to be in that place. And everybody I work with and everybody I encounter is not a Jesus follower. And even the mom I was telling you about was telling her daughter about some things that indicated that she wasn't a Jesus follower. And I say, oh, I get to be a fisher of men right here. Here's a heart broken for her child, and here's a mom who wants to love her through it, and a Jesus who told me how. And I want to be a fisher of men. If you want your life to have purpose, follow the purpose Jesus gave you. And do you know there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus? In other words, your sins are as far away as east is from west. Do you know that, yes, you admitted your sin and you confessed it? And that, yes, he cleanses you from all unrighteousness with that living water. And do you know now you start fresh? You start fresh. You can stand before God and say, it's me again, all of me. What's on for today? What would you have me do today? And you have the right to stand in the committee looking up at the, at the one who's giving us the commission and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And these are the words that Hannah's son, Hannah's son, oh my gosh, what's his name? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I was trying to say Solomon. Oh, goodness. Okay, there it is, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. So Samuel, the boy, working in the temple. Mom comes every year, brings him little outfits for his little priesthood job. She also had five other children, by the way. So her mission for Samuel wasn't the same as her mission for other children. You can do that, too. You can design your mission for your individual child, your child with a special needs, your child at a certain age or stage, your child with a temperament. That can be all right. Think about that. What is my mission for that child? in line with the mission of God for that child. What is his purpose? How will he be a fisher of men under my headship at this point? So Hannah, Samuel, he's the one that goes to Eli, works in the temple for years, and in the middle of the night, he hears um, Samuel, Samuel, and so he runs to Eli the priest and says, yeah, here I am, what do you want? He said, no, no, I didn't call you, and he goes back again, happens three times on the last one, 
Eli says, oh, that's God's voice. That's God's voice you're hearing. Go there and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And he did. And Samuel's life was one of importance because from here on out, he's judging Israel for a long time. And even though the people don't really want judges, they want kings. And he's talking to God and God's telling him, it isn't going to work out for the people, but let's show them. And it's up to Samuel to appoint the first king and the second and the third. And it didn't go that well. You can read about that in First and Second Samuel in the book of Kings. But God used him to do what he wanted for the people because he wanted to show the people that there is no king that's going to satisfy you. Because remember, the scriptures are about God. They're not about Samuel, the guy whose name I just forgot. They're not about Solomon. They're not about Hannah. And they're not about you and me specifically. They are about the purposes of God being moved through history and time and space and our beautiful duty and and. Capacity. You'll find out more about your capacity next week to do just that. And then finally, would you like the room I've prepared for you for eternity in heaven? Jesus says, I go before you. He told the disciples, I'm leaving you. No, Lord, don't leave us. Yes, but I go to prepare a place for you because guess what? You're my passion. I love you. I got a place for you. I saved you a seat. Don't worry. I'm going to be there. These are some of the promises, the last two particularly what we call already and not yet in theological terms. We are already a disciple of Christ, but we are not yet living the fullness of that. The fullness of that is to come. When we get to heaven and I'm still curious and I'm still raising my hand, I'm going to be in the front say, okay, what about that other thing? And that guy who prospered when he shouldn't have. And that woman who said that, where is the justice? I'm going to be there in the front row. But already and not yet means I don't have the opportunity to know the fullness of him right now. I don't have the capacity. I am lower than the angels. But he's invited me and has a place saved for me. This scripture was really important to me when I first came to Christ. It helped me to get a little, um, I feel a little safe about the journey. Not that I've already obtained all this, said Paul, or I've already been arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Those of you that know Paul know we had a personal encounter with Christ on the road. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop here. This is not the end of my lesson. I have about eight more pages. But this is the only thing that matters today. And so I'm going to ask you the questions that I had on the screen. I'm going to ask you if you can accept the invitation to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life. I'm going to ask you to say yes and amen in some way. If you want to say it out loud, you please say it out loud. Every one of us is in the process, is in the journey of more yeses. Yes to this. I said yes to the Lord for myself, and I forgot to say yes to the Lord as a disciple maker. Today I'm going to say yes to the Lord. I want to be a disciple maker. I said yes to the Lord about one thing, and I didn't say yes to the Lord about the other, or I took it back. I lent him my yes and I took it back. If there's any one of these that you can say yes to, I would encourage you, say yes. And if the very first one is, even if you don't know all the answers, will you follow me? That's the most important yes of all. Because God is patient and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And he doesn't want to lose any of us. That's his promise to us. So I'm going to ask you to put your, put your um, papers aside for a minute. I'm going to read to you these questions. I'd love for you to say yes out loud if you can. If it's true, do you accept the invitation to follow the leadership of Jesus? 
Do you acknowledge his position as the Son of God and of your Savior? Are you gathering with others who are following Jesus? I should hear that loud. Yes. Have you been aware of your own poor choices that you've made intentionally or unintentionally? Yes. Do you regret your mistake? And can you admit them honestly to Jesus? Yes. Do you know that there's a purpose for you on earth? Do you rejoice that his death covers over your sin? Yes. Do you know there is a place for you in eternity? Lord Jesus, these are the timid yeses, but we give them to you as is. Like the woman at the well, we're curious, we want to know, we want to say yes, but we don't know what it, what it will cost us. Like myself personally, you know, Lord, that our yeses might need some discipling. And so I give you these ladies today, every one of them. It isn't a magic prayer that you've asked us to pray that transforms us into something that we weren't yesterday and will be tomorrow. It is an acceptance of the offer that you give. And Lord, by being in this room, your offer is made known. May it be that someone in this room has said yes for the very first time to Jesus and that her sisters will come along and be her fellow disciples and disciple makers on the way. Lord Jesus, I praise your wonderful name. You are the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end, and yours are the words of everlasting life. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray it. Amen. For those